Welcome to the month end of CPG Community Chat. The month end will provide emerging CPG brands real life knowledge into the accounting, finance, and operational worlds. Our guests will be key stakeholders from those same brands as well as other key contributors to the industry. Welcome to episode 25 of the month end podcast. Today we have Adam Koss from Country Luau. How are you doing today, Adam? Doing great, Brad. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing great. Doing great. Um, outside of some technical issues at times, we're, uh, we're, we're rocking and rolling here. So excited to chat about, uh, you know, your background as well as Country Lua, which is a super cool uh, uh, up and coming ready to drink product. So um, let's get started with your background and then we'll get into Country Lua and then we'll get into all the other topics we're going to discuss. Sounds good. So give us a little background about yourself, Adam. Yeah, so I got about 20 years in the beverage industry, uh, started out on the retail side. Uh, running nightclubs um, in Las Vegas and uh, some bars in San Diego. Uh, eventually moved over to sales roles at Heineken as well as brand and trade marketing roles, uh, working on fun campaigns like The Most Interesting Man in the World and relaunching brands like Strongbow Cider. Um, also had the opportunity to take on some really cool roles with companies uh, like Pernod Ricard, working on spirit brands like Jameson and Malibu and the Glenlivet and eventually uh, matriculated over to AB InBev, working in uh, their ZX Ventures group on things like e-commerce, and then kind of downsized uh, to some startups working with Milestone Brands uh, on a, a tequila brand called uh, Dulce Vita Tequila, and then eventually shifted over to uh, the head of marketing at Waterloo. Uh, we eventually sold that business, and um, which was a really exciting uh, experience. And you know, had the opportunity to to jump into something of my own. Awesome. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of ex- extensive experience, definitely in the sales and marketing space. So yeah, so let's get in Country Luau. So um, what is Country Luau? Um, what is the brand? What are you What are you selling? And then uh, we'll get into more details after that. Yeah. So go- Country Luau is just a, a really awesome take on kind of this Gulf Western genre um, that I've been really passionate about. Uh, since I was a young guy growing up in Texas and kind of hitting the Galveston beaches and, you know, kind of traveling around the Gulf Coast on family adventures. And, you know, I wanted to create something that was spirits-based, um, behaved a little bit like beer, kind of given my background, and then obviously knew how to develop some really good flavors from my time at Waterloo. And I kind of created this, you know, unique brand in a crowded space that really kind of stood out and addressed a market that was really underserved. Um, we wanted it to be really fun, uh, laid back, unpretentious. And for me to kind of do my own company, um, it really needed to have a purpose as well. Um, and kind of when you look at uh, things that I'm passionate about and what our consumers are passionate about, building out our mix for music platform, where we give 2% of revenue back to um, musicians and music organizations was a really big pillar of our company and something that was uh, really missing in the alcohol industry, but found, you know, really common in, you know, adjacent categories like sparkling water or just wellness brands in general. Awesome. Um, definitely. I, I, I'm with that. What, uh, what, what flavors are you selling? So we've got four flavors uh, with three different types of spirits. We have a yuzu ranch water with tequila, a strawberry dak shack with rum, and then our mango mosa and pineapple jalapeno um, or pineapple jalapeno y'all is uh, made with vodka. That's awesome. And uh, currently, where are you uh, selling? So we're currently being sold in four states. 
uh, we're in Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, and South Carolina. Right where the country music uh, hits, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, well, awesome. Um, um, and you've been around or you've been selling for what, like six, seven, eight months by now, right? We launched the brand uh, right at the end of March, if not early April, um, and seen some really incredible traction uh, with the consumer. We're still really in that market validation phase, but I think we've come out with some really awesome insights and uh, a game plan that allows us to create some predictable results around the country. Awesome. And then outside of that, like, how are you uh, being just from a kind of this, this uh, mix for music program? I'd love to get a lot into that a little bit more as well as kind of a, a reverse influencer. Like, how are you kind of doing this kind of unique, cool marketing play to help support, you know, your product growth, but also like, you know, uh, musicians, as you've already kind of discussed. Yeah, we have two ways we attack it. Uh, one is through a grant program, you know, which uh, musicians can find on our website. Um, where they apply essentially for a grant. Um, we review their application with uh, a lot of our partners and, you know, we decide to give them money to fund things um, like studio hours or mastering an album or a piece of equipment they need or, you know, over the summer, you know, even there was a case where it was gasoline so they could make it to, you know, a show in a, in a, in another state. So, you know, we're really focused on the emerging musician um, in that space. And then, you know, what we like is that that's scalable to every local market around the country and being able to recruit emerging musicians in those music economies. And then secondarily, we have a grant program or not a grant program, but we support uh, music organizations like Music Health Alliance, um, which is a national um, music organization. Um, and they really focus on um, uh um, health insurance or health problems that um, musicians who are that are usually underinsured um, um, and giving them the medical support they need, uh, which can be really kind of a, a, a critical need for, for musicians once they get ill. Um, and so we love working with those guys. We believe there's a national and scalable partnership with them as well. Uh, and then we also support um, an organization called Himlake, which is a a Hawaiian music organization that um, uh, is really focused on the steel guitar and the continued education of steel guitar, which is found really popular in country music. Um, and country music owes a lot to, to the state of Hawaii uh, for their contribution to uh, kind of modern country music and that tropical sound that you can find in a lot of uh, classic songs. That's awesome. Well, um, you know, when you're when you're driven by a, a specific passionate purpose and, and that helps support the brand, it really it really makes it uh, being an entrepreneur in the ups and downs a lot easier to kind of keep you know powering through. So now let's get into the nuts and bolts here of just kind of the conversations. Number one, to confirm, this is your first brand that you've kind of ever been the, the founder, the CEO, the, the launcher of the product, right? Yeah. OK, so how is it going versus what you expected? um from your past i mean all, all things considered i think it's going going really really well um you know at, at times i think you know when you join a project and, and i've been fortunate enough to join projects um like dulce vita and waterloo who were who were already really moving really fast and i just kind of got to get there and pour a little bit more gasoline on something that was growing really well 
you know, in the beginning uh, with that exposure, a lot of times it's kind of like watching paint dry. And, you know, you, you're so used to kind of explosive growth on the brands that you've had the, the good nature to, to have worked on like Dos Equis or Jameson, you know, everything was growing 30 to 60% and, you know, on the startups, even greater uh, growth rates there. So, you know, but when you're getting started, you know, it can feel uh, really hard kind of when you don't see those you know, familiar uh, growth rates. So, but you have to really kind of settle into what is your forecast? What was reality based on? Uh, and so far we're de delivering our expectations uh, and a bit more. Awesome. And then uh, what um, hats you wear? You wear all hats? Do you, do you have uh, other employees, consultants? Like, you know, what does what, what your day-to-day -day look like? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so, so far, technically, uh, I, I wear all the hats, uh, but I've been able to kind of find partners like account fully to support me on kind of the finance end of things and, you know, a good agency called Proof to help me on the creative end of things. Um, and then, you know, also finding uh, uh, partners to help us outsource some of our sales functionality as well. So it's really about, you know, before you um, build out an organization, you know, find really good partners to help you in the early phases um, that act as extensions of the company, but you don't need to necessarily hire those out day one. Um, and then, of course, I'm really kind of ingrained in kind of the marketing side of things and our distributor expansion strategy and route to market strategy. Awesome. Well, I love I love the brand. I love the package. So the, the creative folks did a great job in that. Um, yeah, so we actually did that. The, you the did packaging that? Was all, the packaging was all done by a family member, my cousin Anson. Um, and, you know, he's an incredible artist and, and is the creative director at uh, uh, the Santa Fe Reporter. Um, and we kind of cooked this thing up, um, you know, kind of at the end of 2020, we started working on it. And he's just done an outstanding job evolving the brand. Yeah, well, kudos to Anson. Um, great work on that. So, so from a Let's kind of get in a couple uh, different topics here. So number one, uh, kind of inventory supply chain. So as you're you know, moving forward with creating a product, clearly you had uh, experience within you know, the industry from the past, but how did you go about sourcing uh, product, uh, you know, manufacturers, packaging, you know, putting together your supply chain? How did you kind of handle all that process? Yeah, supply chain is a weird one. Um... You know, you, you, you think you kind of, you, know, you think it's going to be easier than it is. Um, and then it turns out really, uh, you, you hit all these kind of fun roadblocks like along the way. And, you know, it's really critical to any startup to really focus on supply chain and the right partners in that, in that space. You know, who do you source your spirits from? Are they quality? Is it a sustainable source? You know, what is their service level? Um, you know, trying to evaluate multiple vendors versus just the available vendor. Um, you know, and we got really lucky really early on product development where we locked up with a flavor company uh, and an ingredient company that loved our idea um, and ended up doing all of our product development for us pro bono because um, they believed in the brand, uh, which was really, really cool. Um, and then we had some hiccups along the way with our co-manufacturing, which I invite everyone to be hypercritical on. And, you know, we had a facility uh, early on that uh, we thought we would be with longer than we were. Um, and as we transitioned out of them, it gave us the opportunity to reevaluate our co-manufacturing capability. We found an even better partner. 
So sometimes problems, you know, in your supply chain world can really kind of turn into uh, benefits as well. So it's uh, it's really interesting how it works. You know, problems, solutions, you know, can turn into really big kind of positives. But yeah, it's a wild one out there. Um, <laughs> you know, and finding the right partners who are going to be fair with you on pricing along the way, and you know, that you feel are going to deliver consistent quality as well, because there is some variability out there in quality. So mm-hmm. you just have to be super careful and mindful of all things supply chain all the time. Yeah, um, I think people would have drank country luau in the wild, wild west, right? But kind of, the yeah. Um, yeah, and I kind of joke, it's kind of like the Snoop Dogg quote, you know, you know, I got my mind on my margins and my margins on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> So supply chain is obviously critical to that. So yeah. always be thinking margin. Is there is there specific kind of KPIs you look at, like from, you know, you, you brought up your, your co-man and, and always assessing and reviewing, like, is there specific KPIs that like someone can, can or you review or look at um, in relation to your co-mans or supply chain, clearly cost, delivery, you know, timing, but you know, like what, is there anything specific else that you look at or, or you are starting to look at more and more? Well, it's obviously, you know, on the command side, you're always looking at yields, right? So what percentage yield do you get out of kind of your raw materials that you're working with? Um, you know, for us, we're, we're not, you know, at such volumes yet. So, you know, some of our ingredients that we buy, we do have some spoilage on um, because we don't use all of them. So you have to kind of build that into your margin structure as well. Um, lead times are are not necessarily a KPI, but something to be mindful of because, you know, your longest lead time ingredient is your bottleneck to your next production run, right? Um, and then kind of, you know, payment terms and working capital flow is obviously very critical to how you want to build inventories and your ability to forecast the future is hypercritical to working with partners um, and making sure you have, um, you know, the space to produce when you need it, right? And that's not necessarily KPI either, but you know, the master KPI is continually looking at margin improvement, you know, on the supply chain, co-manufacturer side, ingredient side, it's always putting pressure on that. I think a lot of young founders um, that I've advised in the past don't really keep an eye on it as much. They're more concerned about revenue. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just like, wow, we're, we have revenue. It's very exciting. But, you know, we found a 10% increase in margin between our first run to second run. That's a fist pump, yep. you know. And so it's really that one KPI is going to kind of dictate your future. So it's working capital and margin are, are critical. Yeah, it always goes back kind of the basics. And um, I feel like there's kind of getting a shift from revenue growth across kind of just small businesses in general to margins, kind of profitability. I feel like it was lost for a while. And I think it's starting to kind of come back just from, um, you know, where we're at in the, kind of the overall economy and stuff today, just from my visibility. Um how do you manage inventory? When do you reorder? Um, you know, what tools are you using for all that? Still just using kind of spreadsheet math. You know, we're not big enough to really warrant any specific kind of uh, uh, tools to do that. I think we are always kind of looking at velocities um, relative to our distribution, kind of where we're going to move next, forecasting on that. And then, you know, in the early phases, we, we've just gotten, you know, a lot of benefit from having a product with a really, really high quality product with a really great shelf life. So we can build inventories um, and not necessarily have so much concern about spoilage 
um, because our product is designed to be very shelf stable. So when that, again, that was all part of our product design strategy um, where, you know, other founders who are using kind of a lot of fresh ingredients that oxidize very carefully, they're going to be under far more pressure given kind of lower shelf life. So, you know, we've got a great shelf life, which allows us to kind of get in front of inventory. Um, and I think as we grow, we'll, we'll start trying to, again, increase our inventory turnover ratios throughout the year um, um, and produce more frequently with less volumes as we kind of hit those uh, minimum order runs and can do that more frequently. Awesome. So then how are you managing kind of cash um, when buying inventory, you know, number of days to your point, like your, your product's shelf stable, so it's longer, number of days of inventory in hand, um, your overall cash cycle from when you outflow cash to when you receive cash from your customers. Um, how do you view or, or, or like check, look into that, that uh, function? Yeah, so like the, the cash conversion cycle is really important um, along the way. We'll take, you know, early on, I think it's better to be de-risked on the co-manufacturing side. Obviously, minimum order quantities also push you up into taking more inventory on and in kind of your early phase, especially if you want to get into a quality co-man because most of them won't allow you to do low MOQs that are worth a while. You can jump into kind of a lower quality co-man that'll, you know, run you a thousand gallons at a time, but generally their prices are high and their quality is low. So it's mm -hmm. a perfect storm for, uh, for, for risk um, or having some sort of failure along the way. So, you know, early on, if you are fortunate enough to raise enough capital, you know, you can build an inventory. Um, and you can kind of be mindful of uh, the inventory cycle, um, or you can be less concerned about kind of, you know, always, always producing a new batch of product, right? Um, but, it, you know, you have to design the product well, and it all starts from concept, and not all brands are, are designed that way. So it's different for every, every, uh, every founder and team. 100%. Um... Definitely agree with you on those aspects. Um, from an aspect of, um, you know, you, you come from the sales and marketing side of things, like what is your uh, KPIs you're viewing on kind of the sales marketing side of things? So you already talked about margins, but, you know, just from a cost or customer lifetime value or kind of metrics like that, do you, do you use those or, or other ones? Yeah, so alcohol is tough, right? Because there's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, a, it's a challenging category to gain data on, right? So, you know, you start to look at your market, you know, if you look at a geography, you look at revenue, you look at your marketing investments, you look at your working media, your non-working media, and you start to kind of develop a contribution margin by market. And I think that's the best way for me to kind of look at the business as a CM on a, in a, on a geographic basis, um, you know, versus saying, hey, kind of saying, hey, this marketing investment on its own, what is the return on that? Because we don't have a lot of transparency um, in the alcohol industry, you know, on that, unless you want to come and be a direct-to-consumer brand, but alcohol is still, you know, really driven by, um, um, you know, physical retail um, sales. Um, now, you can, you know, you can, if you've got the capital to do it, you can invest in partners like Drizzly and you can start to get a, a ROAS on, you know, if you push media to their platform, but now you're marketing a lot for partners like Drizzly and you got to spend like 50 grand to get the data 
So you got to really kind of kick these big media investments up to start getting clarity on return on ad spend. But we found a way through um, some really cool vendors that are giving us transparency on, you know, SMS programs that we're able to integrate into our marketing strategy that will actually give us transparency on conversion. So it doesn't tell us the whole story, but it tells us a story uh, that we can start looking at. And once we hit that flywheel, um, you know, level where we're starting to see um, positivity of that marketing investment, that's when we'll start to begin to pour gasoline on tactics like that. Gotcha. That's just, it's very interesting to me. Um, what is your plan in your brain now, like first kind of full-time hire? Clearly you're number one, you're, you're you know, a company of one right now with a bunch of partners, but like, you know, you're building out your team kind of long-term as, as the brand, you know, uh, scales and, 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 and grows. Do you have a, a like a planned attack on that? Yeah, it's a really gangster head of sales. <laughs> so it's, you know, invest in things that create revenue, mm -hmm. right? So nice to have a really talented marketer to market with or play with in the sandbox of marketing. But, you know, invest in things that help you create revenue, make a difference, um, you know, at retail. I couldn't agree more. Maybe more. Um, well, good. Well, um, you know, kind of we're nearing the end of this conversation. Um, just before we get into the last couple of uh, specific questions that I always end all podcasts on, like what is uh, what's next for Country Luau and the brand kind of going forward from, a, a, you know, expansion platform or expansion standpoint? Yeah, well, we've got incredible partnerships, you know, with our music positioning. We've got an incredible partnership with uh, American Songwriter. Uh, one of the, you know, the best national kind of music industry publications out there. So we're looking to uh, blow that out. Um, we're sponsoring the Pilgrimage Music Festival next weekend here in Nashville, which is a huge, you know, huge thing for a little brand like us. But again, kind of supporting uh, the music industry. We look forward to blowing out our music cares or our music uh, health, uh, music health alliance partnership uh, across the country. And we look forward to kind of future expansion, um, you know, into really strong markets that uh, index with our consumer. Awesome. Well, I think my in-laws will be at the pilgrimage uh, festival if you're there. Um, I'll tell them to stop by. Um, we'll, we'll have the, the Dak Shack trailer rolling out there. It'll be fun. What's your favorite uh, flavor, by the way? I, I tend to lead with uh, yuzu and pineapple. Those are my two jams that I end up kind of hitting really really easily uses just so citrusy and light and delicious and is a really kind of fun modern take on a really crowded and homogenous ranch water segment yeah um, and then pineapple we i call it sessionable spice i like a little a little hey how are you in my uh in my drink every now and then and i love a good pineapple grilled pineapple flavor so i mean you can drink a handful of those you won't be overwhelmed by the heat and it's just really fun all of them are hyper refreshing and sessionable which is really great what's the what's the alcohol percentage on they're five percent so it's a uh, you know it's great for the consumer because it's uh it's a transferable alcohol level that allows them to drink responsibly um and sessionably without getting over their skis on abv it's yeah. kind of and in, in, in this category where refreshment is driving a lot of consumer choice yeah. refreshing and super high abv is a is a is a dangerous thing for yeah. consumers. Yeah. They don't necessarily love it because um, mm -hmm. then they're on their second cocktail and they're like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. Well, yeah, and a lot of uh, uh, the ones, uh, a lot of the RTDs are even just the, 
the craft beers that exist it's like whoa this is eight and a half <laughs> i had no idea and and it can kind of mess you up uh, versus just kind of some consistency there well um all right let's get to the final two questions adam number one what does uh, one cpg industry do for fellow entrepreneurs understand your consumer and you know if i it's a two-part answer understand your consumer understand your market and your market size Super critical exercises, do the research, spend the time, validate your insights, do research on the insights again, revalidate them before you push off the dock. Super critical. I would expect that answer from a sales and marketing guy. Um, <laughs> and then what is uh, one industry don't from the, for the CPG brand uh, owners? Don't panic. Um, so I think it's, you know, don't spend money where you don't need to spend money. Um, I think, you know, again, it's about patience when you're starting a new business. Um, you can get attracted to a lot of shiny objects. Um, you can look at competition and get lured into doing, um, you know, monkey see kind of monkey do strategy. Um, and don't overinvest in things that don't produce revenue. Be smart with your money. Awesome. Uh, couldn't agree more. Um, well, Adam, this was fantastic. Um, great chat. Um, great uh, uh, insight um, from from your perspective. And uh, again, cool brand. Uh, for those folks out there, countryluau.com. Um, is there any other locations for uh, for the, uh, the listeners to go to to check out your product? Um, you know, come grab us at uh, independent retailers all over Nashville, uh, Total Wines in Texas, South Carolina, and uh, Tennessee. Um, and, uh, you can, if, if you're out of state and you're curious about our product, uh, you can also buy us, uh, on our website. Um, uh, we do, uh, service 32 states across the country, uh, through e-com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Adam, um, again, kudos to you so far. Love the product, love the brand. Um, excited to see kind of where this takes off and, uh, really appreciate your time and, uh, insight um, on the podcast today. So there it is, Adam Cost, Country Luau, um, episode 25 of the month. And hope you all enjoyed it. Take care, Adam. Cheers, guys. 